In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. wondered if any of your pets have like internal thoughts oh yes um and I know that they do based on how opinionated they seem to be about the world even without being able to speak English okay so like give me an example of how you know that like uh your cats are having thoughts Oh, because, well, one of them never shuts up. He is constantly meowing at us, and we can't figure out what he wants. And, um, yeah, and the other one, you know, runs away from us constantly, so we know that she has some type of, like, thoughts about not trusting us. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's all very frustrating because we don't actually, we can't actually communicate with them. And, um, you know, we haven't, said anything about what we're talking about yet so this may be weird but as we were watching this movie we did discuss trying to find a collar (laughs) similar to the one in this movie so that we could talk with our cats (laughs) well that was my follow-up question which was if you do think that your animals are having meaningful thoughts would you want to know them and it sounds like the answer is yes yes I would, 100%. Even if they annoyed me, which they probably would, because it would probably just be like, feed me, I want more food. (laughs) Um, Or pet me, I am bored. Uh, Like, I would still want to know, so I could respond and say no. (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, yeah, I imagine that thoughts would be something like, there's something moving over there, I need to investigate. And you're like, okay, great. Sounds good. Well, that would be creepy. That I don't think I want to know. <laughs> well, but I just mean like they're going to like they see like a little bug or like uh, the dangly thing from the blinds is like very intriguing and they have to like yeah. check it out. But yes, perhaps yeah. it would be a good idea to t- say what movie we're talking about today um, so that this conversation makes a slight bit more sense. That probably would be helpful. Uh, so we are talking. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, so tell us, what are we talking about oh, okay. this week? <laughs> so we are talking about, if y'all couldn't already tell, <laughs> come on, um, the 1978 classic Disney movie, which I enjoy that it was Disney, um, The Cat from Outer Space. Yeah. And uh, it's the it sounds and is exactly like what the title 
implies. <laughs> yeah, it is a hundred percent the one cat who is from outer space in this movie. Um, and I, ch- I wait, I didn't say who we are. Hi, I'm Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my co-host <laughs> Amy, as per Um So yeah, I forget how I ran across this movie in terms of knowing it existed to suggest that we watch for the week. Um, but I would say my overall feeling about this movie is that it's one of these movies that you get sometimes where like a lot happens, but also simultaneously nothing happens. Yeah. I was going to say, because even as simplistic as this movie was and as much as like silly fun as it was I don't feel like I know the plot (laughs) I mean we'll get into it uh but I first thought it would be useful to maybe talk a little bit about like how this is a Disney movie and I think it maybe perhaps is our first Disney movie that we've talked about um on the podcast is it I feel like it wasn't Flight of the Navigator. Oh, yeah. You're right. Flight of the Navigator was Disney. Um, But that might be the only other one. I think so. Um, And this movie in particular, like watching it really brought me back to like a particular moment in time for like the Mm -hmm. Disney empire. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I've we watched like a bunch of Disney stuff like the old Disney stuff, the new Disney stuff, the live action mm-hmm. and the animated. Like I, uh, we've watched mm-hmm. a lot of all of it. And the stuff from the 70s, I think, always has a very particular look for Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this was that to a T. Um, yeah. And part of the reason, I think, why a lot of their movies from the 70s, particularly the live action ones, have a certain kind of um, sensibility about them is because the 70s is actually a pretty rough time for Disney, the 70s and the 80s, actually, Um, which is weird to think about because it's such a juggernaut now. Um, But in fact, throughout the 70s and the 80s, um, what is making the most money for the Disney empire are actually the theme parks, not the movies. Oh, that makes sense, I feel like. Maybe. Yeah, like... They go through this rough period in part because Walt Disney dies in December of 1966 Mm. and then ownership of the company goes to his brother, Roy O. Disney. Wait. Who then died only five years after him. His name is Roy O. Disney? Yes. Oh, you know. Like, oh. Yes, yes. I was thinking. Not like, (laughs) oh, Donald, but like, oh, as like Oscar Disney. Disney. I like that, though. They should have said something like that for when they did, like, didn't they do, like, Derby O'Gill and the Little People? It should have been, like, Walt O'Disney. So so both of the main kind of longstanding guys in charge die within um, five years of each other. And so by the time we enter into the 1970s, um, I think it's one of their nephews who takes over from there. But, like, the like the people who had been guiding the ship are gone. 
So um, the new projects are just kind of a bit different from what had become had become kind of the Disney standard. Um, And so that is like kind of where we are in terms of the context of this movie. Um, But that being said, there are still some gems that come out in the 70s and 80s from the Disney team. We have the Aristocats. Bedknobs and Broomsticks, Escape to Witch Mountain, which this felt like Escape to Witch Mountain, but with a cat. Um, (laughs) In a lot of ways. Style, for sure. Um, Candle Shoe, which features a young Jodie Foster, Mm -hmm. um, is one of the ones I like from that era. And then, of course, there's Robin Hood and The Rescuers, all from this kind of uh, mid-70s to early 80s all come out in this time around this movie. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the cast, um, which, again, does not really... Even though there are a lot of people in this movie, you don't actually have to know most of who they and are. I didn't. I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, the first main character is a guy named Frank Wilson, who's played by an actor named Ken Berry, who was 45 okay. when this movie came out. Um, Berry started out as a teen performing for the troops in World War II mm-hmm. um, and then joined the military himself in the 1950s. Um, and again, like as is the case with some of these people who are kind of mid-century people, quite a lot of them have some sort of military service in their background, either related to World War II or Korea, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um And this, I thought, was a really cool story about Ken Berry. While he was serving in the army, his sergeant was Leonard Nimoy, Hmm. who told him that he should go to Hollywood. And do some outer space stuff. And do some acting. Yeah, definitely (laughs) sci-fi acting for sure. And so um, because of his service, uh, Berry was able to use the GI Bill to study acting. Hmm. Um... And then, of course, went on to be in a variety of different things. Um, His breakout role was as Captain Wilton Parmenter, I think is how you pronounce this last name, on a show called F Troop. Hmm. Have you ever seen F Troop or heard of F Troop? No. I have heard of it, but I'm pretty sure I've never seen Hmm. it. Um, And it looked very, like... Um, something made in the 60s, but like about the 1860s or something. It looked like that sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then um, after that stint, he replaced Andy Griffith on kind of like a retooled uh, Andy Griffith show that got named Mayberry RFD. Weird. I've never heard Um, that either. Yeah, he took the Andy Griffith role. He became, like, the main police guy in this new version of the show. Um, Mm. And then his kind of last big role was he was a character in a show in the 80s called Mama's Family, which is another one where I'm like, I know I've heard that, but I don't know what it is. I've heard of it. I can't. I feel like it came on. I feel like it was one of those shows that would come on after Golden Girls. (laughs) Or like yeah. that type of lineup. It's definitely got, like, the image that I associate with it is a lady 
quite obviously in an old lady wig, <laughs> and she might be Mama. I that's I mean, what that I sounds recall. Possible. I have zero ideas. I just I just know the name of that show. Yeah. So that brings us to our next main but character, who is right. Liz. Sorry, I just looked it up. <laughs> I just looked it up, and that is exactly what it, it is. Wow, that is creepy as hell. It's like, it, remember those old, like, playing cards for kids yes. that you would play old yes, maid, exactly and then the picture like. of the old maid? She looks exactly like that cartoon. Can I can't tell. Uh, this picture here has her next to Carol Burnett. It almost looks like... Car- Anyway, anyway, that is exactly what it is. She doesn't even have, like, a wrinkle, and she has an old lady wig. That is wild. Yeah. Anyway. Um, you know, people have different ideas about what television should be. Oh, my God. It has... Uh, both then and now. now <laughs> this is the Wait, Mama's what? Family podcast now, because I'm just looking <laughs> at the poster, and also, who else is in this is... It looks like Rue McClanahan. It looks like Betty White and Carol Burnett. I don't know what is going on with this. Oh, wow. <laughs> Weird. I, maybe I should watch it. I mean, I mean God knows. Me, I'll be honest. I don't, like, <laughs> I don't like the old lady in the wig thing. I don't like that. Yeah. I'm creeped out. Anyway. It seems weird. You're absolutely right. That's what it is. Um, yes. The next character is Liz, played by Sandy Duncan, who was 32 uh, when this movie came out. And, and the only woman I was going to ask you. Movie. Yes, the only woman in the entire movie. Um, had you ever heard of Sandy Duncan before? That name sounds familiar, but I'm not sure why. Yeah, she's one of those people that, like, the name Sandy Duncan meant something to me, but oh. I didn't, like, I didn't picture her yeah. um, or anything. Yeah, seeing her um, doesn't ring any bells, but that name does. Yeah, and then the reason why I asked you is because you're such a Broadway fan, I thought you might know about her because that seems to be where the vast majority of her her career was. Mm. That um, probably is how I know She played the name. both... Yeah, she played both Wendy and Peter in different Broadway uh, v- viewings of Peter Pan. Interesting. Um, she was nominated for a Tony three times. Cool. Um, and by the 70s, uh, she was becoming kind of a household name. And so Disney actually like kind of used her in a few different movies as their lead actress, um, of which this was one. Hmm. Um, also, yeah, I what I thought was kind of... Older lady for some reason. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, because maybe you saw her when she was older. Yeah, probably, like, at some type of, like, Broadway thing or she was in something else. Interesting. Yeah. So the other thing that I thought was interesting about her life is that um, she developed a tumor in her optic nerve in the early 70s um, and so had to get that removed with surgery. And as a result, uh, she lost vision in her eye. I don't know which one left or right, but she lost vision in her eye. And so when we are watching her in this movie, she is only seeing things from one eye. Yikes. Yeah. Pretty that weird. That doesn't sound... I mean, you know, people deal with... Oh, yeah, I'm reading about her now, too. 
That is, wow, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I think it would be weird to, well, obviously, it would be a very different, well, maybe it wouldn't. I'm shutting, for those of you who can't see me, which is everyone, I am shutting my eye and looking around my apartment. And oh, it definitely ruins your depth perception it, to have just one. It looks about the same. Oh. But yes, I am just seated in my apartment. It probably would be different um, in life, generally. Um, Next, we have the character General Stilton. No first name. um, Played by Harry Morgan, who was 63 um, when the movie came out. Um, In his case, uh, what I thought was kind of interesting about him is that he actually played a number of different, um, like, military guys. Most notably, um, he played Colonel Sherman T. Potter in MASH. Um, But he never served in the military. Hmm. And I think, intriguingly, I think the reason that's so is because um, he was, like, too young to do World War one, mm-hmm. and then he was too old to do World War Two. Mm-hmm. Like he hit it just in that, that kind of strange where he middle do ground. Either. Yeah, um, but he lived until he was ninety six, which is a good run. Yeah, um, and then he too also um, did a few different Disney movies. One of which was the Apple Dumpling Gang, um, which came out in nineteen seventy five. Um, and I don't think I ever saw that, but it's definitely like a kid's movie of some variety. I mean, it sounds like Apple Um, Dumpling Gang is like... Yeah. Um, but I think especially interesting in the terms of this movie, when, um, Harry Morgan joined the cast of MASH, Mm -hmm. the reason he joined MASH was because, um, his co-star in this movie, McLean Stevenson, had left the show... Um, so there, yeah, so that brings us to our next character, Link, no additional name there either, (laughs) played by McLean Stevenson, who was 51. Um, he served in the Navy, Mm. um, and, and actually seemed to have his best success in like kind of the TV talk show realm um, like variety shows because he was a regular stand-in for Johnny Carson whenever Johnny mm. couldn't do the show. Um, and uh, in terms of the MASH connection, he played a character called Lieutenant Colonel Henry Blake. Um, and I think he was only on for maybe like two or three seasons of MASH. MASH was on for a very long time, by the way. Yeah, how long? How many seasons? Um, like one billion? Uh, like 10, I want to say, yeah. like a very I mean, long time. I mean, it was time. like always like top rated for the, that entire time, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the reason why McLean Stevenson left MASH was because he was like second build behind Alan Arkin, I think is oh. the one, is the Alan, I always no, confuse him and Alan, Alan Alda. No, Alan Alda. Uh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I always Alan confuse Arkin them. Alan Arkin is the one who's in Little Miss Sunshine. Alan Alda is MASH. I'm pretty sure. Which is the one that has, like, the slopey nose? Whoa, I have no idea. <laughs> Hold on. I gotta look this up. Alan Arkin is 
like more baldy. I feel like Alan Alda has more like long straight hair. Yes, Alan Alda is the one that is in yeah. Nash and has the slopy nose. Okay. In my, that's how I would describe okay. it. Anyway. Um, so yes, so uh, McLean Stevenson didn't like kind of being second build uh, relative to Alan Alda, so he left. Um, and he got a few different shots at being kind of like the main star of a, of a number of kind of sitcom looking shows, uh, but nothing really took Mm -hmm. as far as I could tell. Um, then we have a character named Mr. Stallwood played by someone we've already talked about, Roddy McDowell, Mm. um, who was 50, uh, when this movie came out. And so for those of you who are like, when did we ever talk about Roddy McDowell? We talked about him because he was in Planet of the Apes. Um, so 10 years previously, he was in a very good movie and now he's in, in this (laughs) And, you know, what can you do? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the final person, who isn't a person, in fact, uh, who we should talk about is the cat of the titular cat of the cat from outer space who gets given the name Jake Mm -hmm. and is voiced by an actor named Ronnie Shell who was 47 when this movie came out. And it was, similar to a number of people in this cast, he uh, served in the Air Force hmm. and ended up doing a bunch of variety shows at, like in there. So there's like a lot of, it seems like a lot of these people were like, they were in the Army or in the armed services, but then they were like doing performance mm-hmm. in there. Um And so then he went on to become, and this is his own joke, America's slowest rising comedian um, for the remainder of his career. Um, He played the character Duke Slater on Gomer Pyle's show. Oh, my gosh. Um, And he did a lot of Disney movies in the 70s and early 80s, particularly um, voice work for a lot of the animated movies of that time. Um, He also does a lot of voice work for Hanna-Barbera as well, who we've talked about. Uh, so that's kind of his jazz. Cool. Um, and it appears as though he's still doing that into the present. Mm. Um, and then there is one bad guy who we will talk about later. Um, but for now, let us just dive into talking about this movie. Okay. So, Amy, why don't you set the scene oh, no. for us of like what the opening is like well, the opening is sort of like um, the Wizard of Oz, you know. It is. Well, I mean, it's like a little farm, and it's all peaceful, and then True. like some shit yeah, happens. Okay. Um, so I would describe it. Isn't that what the Wizard of Oz is? Um, so it is. It's like a little farm scene and a little farmhouse, and we, if I remember correctly, um, a big bug-looking UFO comes flying down and lands, but nobody sees it directly, I don't believe, but they all go running outside because they hear something. And then I don't remember exactly what happens. Yes. So you're, you're right. We like, we open up on this quiet farm scene 
and you hear like crickets chirping and it seems very peaceful. Um, but then a big, like bright light and weird sound happens and like all the noises of the animals in the barn are like going wild. And then we close up on the door of the farmhouse and the farmer and his wife come out and she's in curlers, I want to say, I think. Um, Oh yeah, she is. She's totally in curlers with a net over her hair and a robe. And um, so Pa goes out to investigate what the sound was. And what he sees is a UFO. Uh, do you remember like how you like what the UFO looked like? Yeah, it looked like a big bug is what I would, how I described it. It's like, yes. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's like a circular. Uh, I mean, it looked kind of like a rudimentary uh, UFO, if you will. Yeah. It's like a half sphere that's silver with like little legs that come out the bottom. Yeah. And then there are these like two, I don't know if they're supposed to be windows, but it looks like eyes. They're two, like these two green, like eye type things on the side. Yeah. And so he sees that and runs away, um, which makes sense. Um, and then we hear this voice calling up to the mothership saying that something has gone wrong with the ship and the mothership says, well, um, we'll be able to pick you up, I think in like two days or something. Um, but you'll have to like fix the ship in the meantime so that we'll be able to like get you when we're coming back. And so you're like, okay, so this is some kind of alien, here we go. And then what is the reveal? <laughs> the door of this little bug ship opens up and a little cat runs out. <laughs> Correct. And that is when we're supposed to be like, what? The, the alien is a cat. Though if you read the title of the movie, you shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> That's true. Um, they didn't leave a lot to the imagination in this uh, title. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So the cat comes out of the ship. Then we see the title card that says the cat from outer space. Then um, the credits roll over a series of different things where like General Stilton and his various assistants have been called. And there's all these military guys running around um, and they are collecting this ship to take back to the army base um, and the cat sees all of this occurring and then sneaks a ride on one of the military trucks so it can follow its ship being taken away because the, sh- the ship itself is actually taken away by a helicopter. Right. So, um, and there seemed to be a lot of helicopters in this. There, there did. And I, I cannot wait to talk about the part closer to the end when they say, who's, who's flying that plane? <laughs> uh, but we'll Indeed. get there. <laughs> um, so now um, there's a, a bit of a kind of like scene at the base where they're talking about the ship. But in terms of what's important to the story, we are then brought to a place called Energy Research Laboratory. 
and there's a bunch of scientists in this room and they're all kind of like talking over each other about um, what General Stilton has brought to them. Now, to be clear, in this room full of scientists, there is one woman and it is Liz and she is the one woman scientist that there is at this company. And the one woman apparently in this entire place, except for the one woman in curlers at the beginning. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the meeting is about to like get going. The cat has followed to this place as well and like jumps in through a window to listen to the meeting and no one notices and no one cares. Um, for some reason, Mr. Stallwood is also there. He, um, but he then gets kicked out of the meeting because I guess he's not a scientist. He's just some guy who works at this lab. Is he's the one who's like, she's like, he's my roommate or like we carpool together and he's smart. Is it that? Yeah. Yes. Um, so once Mr. Stallwood is kicked out, he goes to a phone booth um, in the office building and calls someone named Olympus to say there's something big going down at this lab, but I'm not sure what exactly. Um, when we get back into the meeting room, what we learn is that, so like General Stilton has this like metal case that it has the words top secret on it. And then he wait, opens I love the that. case. I, I like, I, I just, <laughs> wait, that just reminds me of like how much I love that in movies. There's always something that's top secret or confidential. And like, I don't work in yeah. a field where that exists. So I you don't need confidential stuff. Yeah, not really. I mean, people are shady, but like the, I would love to know if that's real. Like, I would love to know if on a top secret file, it would really say top secret. Because it seems like that just is begging for someone to look at it. Who doesn't, who shouldn't be looking at it. I think I once worked at the National Archives um, that is actually in like a suburb of D.C. Mm -hmm. for a while. And I feel like when I would look at old documents from there... They would say top secret? Sometimes you would see. Yeah, like it would have a stamp or something that might say it. That's interesting. And like, I mean, I guess it's more for, I my, my imagination is that I guess it's more as like a liability, liability thing. Like I wrote top secret on it. Sorry if so-and-so saw it. Right. Like, um, as opposed to actually thinking that that would like stop someone from looking at it if they got their hands on it? I don't know. It's just a funny... Sure. I just find it a funny yes. thing. I mean, it's interesting that you bring this up because I was just reading something the other day that I had forgotten about, which is that um, after 9-11, like, a significant amount of government documents have been labeled top secret, um, even though probably they don't need to be. To throw um, people off? Because... No, because like sometimes people aren't sure like whether or not something should be classified. Mm. And so it's like, well, um, if I, for example, let information get out that then turns out bad, then that's like a paper trail back to me making this decision. Right. So I'll just do everything 
classified right. and then no like I can never get in trouble for making something classified right. I can only get in trouble if I let something get out there so there's actually been this major kind of um movement in government documentation to mark things as classified even though they don't need to be which of course then makes doing transparent governance really difficult wow that's a can of worms all right I mean yeah. And that's sort of what I was now, saying in this before, case, where people would be like, well, I wrote Top Secret, so it's like not my fault. Right. Yeah. But now in this case, to me, what is funny about this like literal like metal case that says the words Top Secret on it is like, what if someone sees that case like when you're carrying it to and from the rooms where you're going to reveal what's in it? Yeah, of course. Like... Someone's going to be like, that seems important. Maybe I want to steal it. Of course. Um, Of course. It's begging someone (laughs) to steal it or look at it or whatever. (laughs) That's that's what's funny about it. Yeah. Um, But what emerges from this case when General Stilton opens it is this like shiny, floaty thing um, that I don't really know how else to describe it. It looks kind of like a teardrop or like a raindrop. Okay. I don't remember this. That is like glowing oh, yes, yes, I do. in different ways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all the scientists are puzzled. And then Liz is like, why don't we ask Dr. Wilson to join us? He has some good ideas. And the boss scientist seems to hate Wilson quite vehemently but nonetheless they bring him into the room and so then Wilson is there and he just is like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen but no I don't know how it works um yeah, they're really all and pretty he useless says, in this scene I'm just gonna say it I mean he says some various like vaguely scientific <laughs> talk um but I th- I mean one of the things that I thought was funny about this movie is like because it's a Disney one for kids, like, they don't really bother trying to, like, make it sound like they are doing some kind of science. It's like, the primal mainstream, it taps into the energy of the universe, and you're like, okay, fine. Um... But no one really likes this, um... And, like, Frank Wilson is, like a bit too jokey Mm. it seems and so like general stilton doesn't like him Mm. um and his boss doesn't like him so ultimately frank gets kicked out of this meeting to determine what this floaty thing is um so he he then goes off to his own personal lab uh in this um complex Mm -hmm. and Apparently, whatever he was saying was pretty much right on the money because Jake, the cat, has been listening to this meeting the whole time. And so he follows Frank out from the meeting room into his lab and shows up and um, Frank notices him. And that's when he gives him the name Jake uh, because he says he looks like a Jake, which uh, which I don't really know what that means. Really quick. Like... That's that didn't strike me as weird because of the cats that have been in my life that have very human names, but that's a weird name for yes. a cat, a little bit like it is. And to say you look like I mean, a Jake is a very weird thing to say about a cat, 
Yes. I mean, I will say that I thought this cat was really like a beautiful looking cat. I love this cat. I um, would take this cat. Like, I, th- I think... It was like... It was like a little cougar almost, like the cute. way it looked. Yeah, it was. It was a very... And very well trained. I mean, I know it wasn't really talking, but like... Um, <laughs> what? It wasn't? I was mad. I wanted it to be, but... Um, <laughs> The, even there are some parts where he's like holding the cat like in his arms like a little baby and I was like is that still that cat that is that cat is crazy <laughs> um calm I can't believe that that cat would let somebody do that but I, yeah I thought this cat was very cute yes and most kind of adding to its whole visual appeal is that Frankie notices that Jake has this very fancy shiny collar mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, huh, well, that's interesting. We shall see what comes of that. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Liz comes in and says to Frank, like, you know, look, I stood up for you. I invited, I got you invited to this meeting and then you like didn't take it seriously. Like, come on, man. And so then, um, she notices that Jake is there and she gets him a bowl of water And this then opens up a dialogue between Frank and Liz because Liz is a cat lover. She has her own cat. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they apparently also, they don't just work in this same place. They also live in the same building somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, It's unclear where this is all taking place. Like this whole movie, who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, And so then... Uh, I th- they make a plan to have dinner that night um, at their respective apartment mm-hmm. um, building. And as Liz leaves, or once she leaves, Jake turns to Frank and says, I think she digs you. <laughs> and Frank is not as surprised that this cat can talk as I would expect someone to be. Not, he actually, that reminds me, he did not seem phased at all. Not even a little. Well, cause even, like, he's like, like, huh? Yeah. It was more like, cool. Okay. So anyway, let's talk about this science, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it was because Jake started out by complimenting his scientific understandings. And so then Frank was like, like, it's a cat, but well, I don't care. <laughs> You still think I'm smart, so that's great. That's enough for me. Um, This is when Jake explains that he actually has a different name that isn't Jake, of course, um, but no one bothers to learn that name um, because it's too long, and it involves, like, numbers, if I recall correctly. Well, it's also a very American thing to be like, oh, you have a different name? Well, we don't do that here. We call you what we want to call you. Yeah, your name is Jake now. Your name is Jake. Um, That's easy for me to say. Uh, and this, and in this interchange, uh, Jake explains that on his world, everyone is a cat because they only needed to get to that level of evolution, and then they decided that what they needed to do was develop their brains rather than develop their bodies. So that makes total sense, right? You get that. Sure, sure. A land of cats, not horrifying at all. (laughs) Um, And so what Jake explains to Frank is that this 
quote unquote, working on their minds thing is basically like this collar that Jake has is like a special tool that amplifies the power of Jake's mind so that he can do all kinds of crazy shit, Mm -hmm. including in this case, um, for some reason, Frank has like a three piece band in his lab. Mm his science lab, Mm -hmm. Um, and then Jake starts making them all play music together. Uh Uh-huh. And, like, they're just, like, instruments floating in air playing music. (laughs) I'm into it. I like I do like that. Yeah. Now, just before we leave this scene entirely, do you think you'd want to go to a planet where everyone was a cat? Okay. Yeah, no. (laughs) <laughs> well, okay. I mean, listen, I have two cats. If they could all talk like this cat, like maybe. But if they're all like actual cats, no. Okay. I feel that... But it also would be overwhelming. That's a lot of cats. My vision of it... I immediately started thinking about litter boxes. Oh, yeah. Well, aren't these kind of like half people, half cats? Can't they go to the toilet? I mean, they're probably smart enough to. I feel like they are. They can talk. You just go on the toilet. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, litter boxes. If if they were regular cats, it would be bad. It would be... The more I'm thinking about this, and particularly what the beaches on this cat planet (laughs) would be like... I'm, like, actually sick to my stomach, so I just need to, like, move (laughs) on from this. Um, Okay, so then we arrive at Frank's apartment, and Jake is asking Frank to help him fix his spaceship, but also get his spaceship from the local military base. Mm -hmm. Um, And in exchange for that help, Jake will, like, help Frank with his research. And it seemed like maybe what was implied here was, like, Frank's research was, like, kind of the beginnings of figuring out that floaty thing Mm -hmm. from the previous thing. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, that isn't revisited again. It doesn't matter. Um, And Jake explains as well that, like, Frank could also use this collar to do exactly the same thing, which is to, like, focus your thoughts and make things happen. Yeah. So Frank does this, uh, and he starts to float, like, perpendicular to the ground, or parallel to the oh, ground. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, um, this part was great. Wait, is this the part? Wait, are we in, Sorry. This is in... Okay, never mind. Keep going. But I think I loved this part. Okay. Um, And while uh, Frank is floating in the air, in walks his friend Mm. and other co-scientist, fellow scientist, Link. Right. Um, And Link is in a whole snit because his wife, who we never see, we only know he has one because he complains about her constantly. Well, that's all, you, that's um, all mean, a wife needs to be. You, mean, you don't need to see a wife. You just correct. need to know she's obnoxious. Correct. Yes. Um, all we ever learn about Link's wife is that she constantly refuses to let him watch all of the various sporting events that bitch. he wants to watch. 
I know, on television. Um, Now, needless to say, it seems pretty clear to me that Link has a gambling problem. Mm -hmm. So presumably the reason why his wife doesn't allow sports on their television is a last-ditch effort to try and stop his gambling habit. Yeah. Oh, you mean like she's not a horrible person? She's actually trying to help him? Shocking. Yes. Uh, (laughs) But... Link clearly has some troubles in a variety of ways because he comes in while Frank is floating off the ground and doesn't even notice. Um, and then he, because he's busy watching this basketball game, which features the Lakers. So maybe this is happening in California. Um, and Jake watches the game with some interest and then actually like manipulates the basketball. It's never clear to me how he can manipulate sports that he's not actually there for. Yeah. But well, he's really he he's does. A alien. Yeah, true. <laughs> um he's a magic cat. I don't know why I'm yeah, why thinking are you more into this you, that, than that. I, that's that was one of the times I was like, I wanna get checkers that collar. um so that happens frank freaks out he's like link you got to get out of here as link is leaving liz is showing up with her cat because she's like we were supposed to have dinner um but frank is like oh no now things are like totally different and i have to help this space cat get his (laughs) alien ship back off so like i can't have dinner with you um but the way he gets out of this is that he's like oh jake is pretty sick I have to, like, take care of him. I can't have dinner. And Liz, who is a cat lover herself and has brought her own cat to this dinner, um, is like, oh, well, yeah. Oh, well, maybe we ought to call the vet. And uh, uh, Frank is like, no, 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 it's fine. In the midst of all of this to really, like, sell the notion that Jake is sick, um, he starts fake sneezing. Oh, yeah. I love that. This cat was cute. I don't know how they got it. It was cat a very cute cat. God knows. Um, so, anyway, Frank is ultimately able to get both Link and Liz out. Um, and he and Jake are going to the army base mm-hmm. to find Jake's ship. Yeah. Um, this was the now, part I liked. What I happened in here is what the part that I like. <laughs> now, I don't really live in a place where army bases, like, there aren't any near me. Yeah. But it's weird that, like, they know exactly where this is and they can get there. Uh, I feel like the part that's weird is that they can access it so easily and that they can... Correct. Get, like, legit inside of it as opposed, like, not just like, oh, that's where the base is. I know the general vicinity. I could get up to the fence and then there's guards. Um, Yeah. The fact that they can get in and be, like, putzing around inside (laughs) is the part that seems like a movie called The Cat from Outer Space. I mean, I know that this is a pre-9-11 world, but I'd say this military base needs a scotch more security. It'd probably than be a good has. idea. Um, so they arrive, and Mr. Stallwood is also skulking around the perimeter <laughs> of the army base as well because he has been tipped off to this top-secret thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now... Frank and Jake are able to get into the base because Jake unlocks 
the door, like the fence. Oh, okay. Um, and Stallwood comes in after them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do run into a soldier with a German shepherd, which Jake freezes <laughs> with his mind. Oh, man. Um, I really want to imagine that. Uh, this it was very similar to me as like um, Suburban Commando because like <laughs> Jake was like they'll be fine and they won't remember anything and in twenty minutes they'll be back to normal and it was like a very similar like freeze ray yeah. and then it's fine. Um, so they get Frank and Jake go into the hangar. They find it immediately somehow. This hangar with the with Jake's ship in mm-hmm. it. Stallwood then kind of finds like a skylight or something. He watches from above all of what's about to happen. Um, And so why don't you describe this scene that you loved so much? Well, you know, he, so he figures out what, I don't know the actual like story or any of the science behind it because I was, you know, I'm always distracted and it's more like I watch moving pictures than I follow the story. But, um, (laughs) He starts to fly around the, um, Frank starts to fly around the hangar because he needs to fix something by like getting inside of it somehow. And that's the only way they come up with how to do that. I don't know. Um, but he's (laughs) flying around and like flying very perpendicularly or, um, and. Yeah. Like there's one part where he's literally got like his head down and his legs up and he's like in oh, a straight yeah. that line yeah but even and then the other part when he's doing the flying horizontally i mean i forgot that part and he's like doing little poses in the air and just like the effects in this part made me laugh so much they weren't they weren't <laughs> bad per se and especially for 1978 it wasn't terrible but definitely there were moments where you could see the strings that were like pulling pulling yeah. up his pants especially when he was going perpendicular um yeah well yeah I think there was a part where he's like literally doing the typical like lying on my side with my head on my crooked elbow yes. thing um like he's posing for a photo yes, or something I love that. um yes that was very good yeah that so, whole deal was fun and it was um I love being able to see the wires and so I I, I love all of that yeah um, so Stallwood is watching this from above and he, like, he's doing the typical thing that you see of a Disney villain. Like his mouth makes a perfect O like of surprise, like, yep. oh my, like, um, but once, uh, Frank is done kind of floating around and doing some kind of repair on the outside of the ship, he comes back down goes into the spaceship and I do think that like when I saw the interior of this spaceship it kind of made me think of like this is maybe like a early flight of the navigator mm. ship like they they looked kind of similar to yeah. me in some ways yeah um and Jake Uh, has been doing some stuff internally to the ship. And then he tells Frank that he needs a substance called Org 12. Of course. I always love Org 12. To make the ship run. Mm. Yeah. To make the ship run. And even before he actually says what it is, I'm like, Org 12 is going to be something that's really hard to get on this (laughs) planet. I just, you wait. Um, and then it's revealed, of course, that Org 12 is gold. 
And so, and particularly, he needs $120,000 worth of Jeez. gold. Oh, my goodness. Um, but this is, oh, this is like a bit of a later problem because... While this is all going down, the soldier that got frozen outside has called the, has like somebody else passes him and sees this guy's frozen. Clearly something's weird. Um, the other soldier sounds the alarm. Everything goes haywire. There's a bit of a kerfuffle where Jake, Jake and Frank are doing various things to try and escape. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as Jake. So what is also revealed is that when Jake doesn't have his collar, then he is basically just a normal cat. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that happens a couple different times. Um, But ultimately, they are able to escape because they get onto like a tandem motorcycle, right? Mm -hmm. And then Jake makes the motorcycle float up into the air and they get away. I really need me a magic cat. (laughs) (laughs) They do seem to come in handy. We are back now in Frank's apartment. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is where, like, Frank has done the work in terms of, like, figuring out how much gold, based on what uh, Jake said, how much they need. And he reveals that they need $120,000 worth of gold. um, Seems like a lot. Yes, and so that's 1978. In 2021 money, that is about $480,000. That's a lot of cheese to come up with. (laughs) Indeed, and like the other thing that uh, isn't mentioned too much in this story, but is from the start, is like Jake only has so much time to link back up with the mothership. So at this point, I think he has like... um, maybe like 30 hours before that happens. And so they have like a day to fix the ship, get this gold and get Jake back to cat planet. Um, I mean, I don't know what they call it. Do they ever say, they never say, yeah, I don't remember them saying the name (laughs) of the planet. Um, And they're both kind of like, well, I don't know how to do this. Then, Mm -hmm. conveniently, Link comes in, and now his wife isn't letting him watch a horse race that he wants to watch. Um, She's the freaking worst. (laughs) I know. And then, um, while all of this is happening inside Frank's apartment, on the outside of Frank's apartment, uh, Stallwood is there and he's spying on all of them because he's followed them. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's videoing everything that's happening inside. Um, meanwhile, inside the apartment, Link is watching a football game, or no, he's a horse race, sorry, and he's talking oh about his bets. He, like, calls up his bookie um, <laughs> to make various bets about how the race is going to go, and mm-hmm. then somehow... I guess they're just talking openly in front of Link. Jake turns to Frank and is like, this is how we can get the $120,000. We'll bet on sports. 
what kind of sports are that are available for us to bet on today. That's true because he can affect the change or the outcome. Right, exactly. So they fully intend to cheat <laughs> to Love win it. this money. Um, and then they decide that they have to let Link in on what is happening because he's the one who is going to be placing the bets. Um, yep. And so, needless to say, Link does not believe this. He's like, this is a, a joke. Like, you've rigged something up to make it seem like the cat is talking. Uh, but the cat is not talking. Um, and then, do you remember some of the different tricks that Jake does to try and show Link that he really is like a magic space cat? Uh, was this one? I'm not sure if I remember. I know there was another one of my favorite parts maybe this was it when he like picks him up and like puts him on the other couch when like is that right he like makes him fly and float across the room yes he makes him float for sure he also like uh link is like pouring a beer from the can to a glass and he makes the beer go back into the can from the glass yeah i I did like these gags. I forgot. <laughs> um, then he also, like, makes the beer kind of, like, blow up into Link's face, which then Link goes into the kitchen to get a paper towel to dry off his face, and then Jake, ra- like, wraps him up in paper towel, like, twirls him around in paper towel, um, and then, yes, finally makes him float from... I think he was, like sitting on the couch and then he moves him so he's sitting on the bed or something um yeah but that is enough to convince link that all of this checks out it all makes sense um and so he will happily place these various bets um and i think what they say is like at this point in the day there are three different football games left to bet on so that's what they're gonna Mm -hmm. be aiming to do Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, outside, Stallwood has seen all of this happened, and he's taped uh, Jake doing these crazy tricks on Link. Um, he is such a little snoop. Yes, but it will be revealed soon why he's doing this. Yeah. Um, again, back in Frank's apartment, um, Link, Jake, and Frank are now carefully watching these upcoming football games so that they can see about um, winning this money. This is when Liz shows up again because she's like, we were supposed to have a picnic today because we didn't have our dinner last night. Um, Which, again, Frank is like, oh, well, now we can't go because we have to be watching these games. Um, And so then uh, Jake starts... Um, doing his fake sneezing some more. Um, (laughs) And Liz is like, well, this is ridiculous if he's still sick. Um, There's a vet who lives in this building, so I'm going to go get the vet and then bring the vet here to look at your cat. Um, That happens. While she's gone, uh, she leaves her own cat, Lucy Bell, in the apartment, and Jake, like immediately falls in love with her of course um although like this begs the question like 
he is a cat and so is she, but like, this is like the relationship in Planet of the Apes, I feel like, between um, Charlton Heston and that lady, where it's like, yes, we're both the same species, but like, one of us like knows about quantum physics and one of the us other, is a the cat. dumb old cat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. I don't see how this can be like a recipe for long-term success of this relationship. Um, yeah. But Jake's affinity for Lucy Bell is important to the story, so we need to know that it's happening. Then the vet comes in, another guy. There are no other women in this movie, as you've said before. Mm-hmm. Um, and he starts examining Jake, and in the process of this examination, he takes Jake's collar off. So now he is just a regular old cat, and he can't control the outcome of the games that they need to be manipulating. Oh, no. Yes, and what makes this all even worse is that then the vet gives Jake a tranquilizer. So he literally just, like, passes the fuck out and... Yeah. Oh, I was just going to ask about the passed out cat. Yeah. Do you think that was a real cat or do you think they had that guy carrying around a doll of a cat? I think that probably at some points it was a real cat, but I think mostly yeah. it was like a doll. Okay. Yeah. Cause his tail wasn't moving very much. And I feel like that anyway, I was curious about that cause it looked so calm. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it looked dead is what it looked like. It was literally just like totally flat out as a result of this tranquilizer. Um, and because they're unable to manipulate the games, they actually lose money rather than win it like they were supposed to. And so they're like, Frank freaks out and Link freaks out and is, and then the vet's there, but he's like, well, I'm getting out of here because this is weird. Um, And then Frank is like, well, we've got to do something. Like, isn't there some way we can get this money back? Blah, 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 blah. And Link is like, well, we can go see my bookie at his, like, place of business, which is the pool hall. Um, So that's what they decide they're going to do. Meanwhile, Liz is, like, tagging along behind them being like, guys, what is happening? Like, what is going on? And, like, don't you care about your cat? And, like, why are you dragging your passed out cat with you to the pool hall? (laughs) Um, And so she finally kind of stops them and is like, I demand an explanation for what (laughs) is going on. And um, they're like, okay, fine. We'll tell you what's up as well and they all get into the elevator and he talks (laughs) yeah they all get into the elevator and by the time they reach the pool hall um liz totally just like link has rolled with this punch of jake is a space cat and he's trying to get back to space um and we need to help him do that In the meantime, like, as they're walking into the pool hall, um, which in my handwritten notes, like, they have the outside, like, establishing shot of, like, this is the pool hall. Um, In my handwritten notes, I said, cute town. (laughs) (laughs) It did have, like, a very nice, like, town square that they were going to. Um, Yeah. So while this has all been happening, uh, uh, General Stilton has been doing investigations on the UFO because they broke onto the base. And so Mm -hmm. they've 
discovered that Frank is responsible for this break-in. And so now when they go to the pool hall, there are these government agents tailing them, watching what they do. And, t- and like mm-hmm. r- radioing back to General Stilton about what is up. Um, so they get to the pool hall, and unfortunately, they can't undo any of the previous bets that they made, which seems obvious. And particularly since Link has a gambling addiction, like I think he knows that once you place bets and once the games start being played, you can't undo it. Um, but nonetheless, they're like, oh, now what do we do? So they decide to play the local pool shark, Sarasota Slim. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not making that up. That's what they call this guy. <laughs> um, aye, aye, aye. So they say, like, uh, what if we play him for money? And they keep, like, upping kind of the odds so that because they only have $300, I guess, to bet with. And they're like, uh, what kind of odds would you give us if we win the game against your, like, really Mm -hmm. good pool-playing man? Um, And they finally get, um, what is his name? Ernest Ernie is the name of the guy who runs the pool hall and is the the bookie. Um, They finally get him up to a situation where they'll pay $60 in to play um, for odds of 2,000 to 1. So if they win this game, uh, then they will get exactly $120,000. Whoa. That seems perfect. Yeah. And the way that they get such like crazy odds is that they say that Liz will play against Sarasota Slim and she will do it blindfolded. Okay. And the reason they're making this bet is because Frank is planning on using uh, Jake's collar to manipulate the pool game. But unfortunately, Frank is really bad at this. Um, (laughs) And Liz loses immediately. Um, So they do kind of like, I guess, like a double or nothing or something. So they do another Mm -hmm. game. But they're like, but this is terrible. Like, Jake's asleep. What are we going to do? But this whole time, as all of these different interchanges have been happening, they keep Mm -hmm. showing this guy who's ordering an onion sandwich. And I was F is an onion sandwich. (laughs) And I was just like, why do they keep showing this guy trying to order this sandwich? Like, what's the point of this? But the point of it. Why is he eating it? Yeah, I don't know what an onion sandwich is, um, but it sounds gross. I mean, it's like it sounds like something that people in the seventies ate, like older people, because this is like an older guy ordering an onion sandwich. That's gross. I, I'm sorry. I like onions, but just a pure onion sandwich. No, sounds detestable. No, um, but the point of the onion sandwich is because. Uh, this guy who orders it, like he puts his plate near the tranquilized Jake's face and immediately mm. Jake wakes up from the smell of the onion sandwich. Mm, that's okay. That's why they did it then, I guess. Yes, of course. It's like, a, <laughs> it's for kids. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, so f- they're like, yep, let's play Slim again now. Now it's going to work. Um, and 
that is precisely what happens. Like Sarasota <laughs> Slim breaks uh, the rack and then Jake makes all the balls roll back as if they had been re-racked into the triangle again. Mm-hmm. So then Liz then does the break with a blindfold and all of the balls go in at once and they win their $120,000. Cha-ching! Perfect. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> now, one of the things that I have not mentioned about this whole pool hall scene is that every man in this pool hall could be an extra from Guys and Dolls, the musical. They probably are. <laughs> I mean, particularly there's one guy called Honest Harry who is like legit in a three-piece pinstripe suit, has a fedora and a carnation and his lapel. Like, it's just like, what is And his this? name is Honest Harry. Yes. Which I think, I feel like even in Guys and Dolls, there is someone called like, Oh, Harry the horse is an actual person from, or character rather, from yeah. Guys and Dolls. That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, there was, this was like, I feel like the Italian-American committee would have like written an angry letter about this and been like, <laughs> this is very stereotypical and this is not how we are, but that is what is happening in this pool hall. Um, then we get to the part of the movie that I think might have been my favorite scene by far. Okay. We okay. are in this layer and it's like black rock walls with like a big opening and a big like, um, panoramic window behind a bad guy's black desk and you, it, the window kind of like looks out onto the ocean and in the layer is like little CCTV camera things that say different cities mm-hmm. of the world over it. And then we get the reveal of this person named Olympus that Mr. Stallwood has been calling and working for this whole time. Um, and because it's a kid's movie and a sight gag, um, they're all watching this footage of Jake and his collar that Stallwood took, but they're all bent <laughs> over upside down because Stallwood was hanging upside down from a balcony when he was taking the footage. <laughs> Idiots. Um, now, just so we can like fully picture who this bad guy is, um, I also wrote down in my notes his outfit. So his out, so he's this very pale man, like very pale skin, white hair, blue eyes. And then he's Mm -hmm. got a completely black outfit on that includes (laughs) a black leather jacket and vest over a black turtleneck. Hmm. And to top off the whole look, he also has a Van Dyke beard situation happening Mm. um that is all white as well so he is like a very bondish kind of villain man um with his cronies and uh they basically decide that they need to go after this cat and Mm -hmm. get its collar to use for themselves for unclear but nefarious reasons Yep. 
so perfect. Um, like I was actually like cackling watching that scene. I was like, <laughs> this is like every cliche about villains, like combined into one <laughs> thing. And it's so hilarious. Yeah. Um, so then we end up back at Frank's apartment where they mysteriously, in my opinion, were able to buy, get their money immediately, buy a gold brick immediately, and bring it back to the apartment. We don't ever see how they obtain this gold brick. And I'm like, what town? You can just go buy gold bricks wherever you want. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, and what's even more weird about this situation is like Jake has to use his mind powers to shrink the brick down into like this small, small version of itself so that it will fit into the ship. Mm-hmm. So that all happens. Then General Stilton busts into Frank's apartment and tries to arrest everyone, whereupon Jake freezes all of the soldiers and they all run away. Um, Stallwood and Olympus are outside of the apartment watching everything happen. So um, Frank has actually taken General Stilton's clothes and put them on himself so that he and Jake can get back onto the base because now they've got to like get this piece into the UFO so that Jake can get going because now it's like something like an hour left before he needs to go. Um, mm-hmm. So Frank and Jake drive off. And then Liz and Link are just kind of like standing in the street, like, I hope everything turns out okay. And while they're mm-hmm. doing that, who Mr. Olympus and Mr. Stallwood walk up, and I think they maybe have guns, but I'm not totally sure. Um, and they kidnap Liz because they're like, we're going to mm-hmm. get that collar by ki- kidnapping this girl that Frank likes. Uh huh. In the meantime, Frank and Jake arrive at the army base, and now there's only a minute and a half until Jake's ship has to take off and leave to catch up with the other cat ships. I don't know. Okay. Um, Yeah, yeah. So they put in the new gold part. Frank says, bye, dude. This has been, like, fun, whatever. And while they're saying their goodbyes, Link drives up and says that Liz and her cat Lucy Bell have been kidnapped by Olympus. And Jake is like, oh, well, I got to go and help save them. But Frank is like, no, no, you have to like get back to your planet. So don't worry about it. I'll make sure that both Liz and Lucy Bell are safe. And Mm -hmm. so then the ship takes off presumably to go link back up with the mothership. And then Frank gets into Link's car. And he's like, okay, we've got to go. We've got to save them. And then all who should pop up? But Jake is there. And he's like, I wasn't going <laughs> to leave you all alone and my new cat wife, like, without protection. <laughs> um, I, we're going together to save these ladies. Um, and so that is precisely what happens. Um, we now arrive at the climax of the movie where we mm-hmm. are at some random ass airfield 
and the baddies have taken Liz and her cat for some reason. I don't know why the cat is there, but they're there. Um, And they're all in a helicopter, and they're going to go, I guess, back to the lair so that then they can try and um, strong-arm Frank into giving them the cat or, more importantly, the collar. Um, And in the meantime, Frank and Jake and Link have, like, corralled all of the military people who have been surveilling them and following them, and they've explained everything. And then, Mm -hmm. like, all a whole bunch of military police come to the airfield. But by this point, unfortunately, the helicopter has taken off. So it's like, oh, no, what are we going to do to save Liz and Lucy Bell? And then Frank and Jake see this super old, like, covered in cobwebs plane on the ground. Mm. And they're like, let's just take this. Um, (laughs) And so that's what they do because they can use Jake's magic cat powers to fly the plane, which is what happens. Um, Then we're in the sky. The last bit of the movie mostly happens in the sky. Jake and Frank catch up with the helicopter. um, And then there's like a bit of a sky chase between the helicopter and the really old ass plane. Um, Stallwood starts shooting at the plane, um, which in turn accidentally damages the helicopter. So mm-hmm. all of the bad guys are like, see you later. And they get into parachutes and they jump out of the helicopter. But now Liz and Lucy Bell are in a helicopter that is being flown by no one um, and somehow manages to stay in the air for a very long time, which I don't think is how helicopters work. Um, and so then Frank and Jake are trying to like fly their plane up underneath the helicopter so that they can save them, like by having them like, uh, jump into the plane. Now, to me, what was super hilarious about this scene is, did you notice that they had a taxidermied cat on the plane that like when they were doing like far away shots no i didn't notice that yeah it was and it even from a distance i was like ugh taxidermied cat does not look good like and it had like a <laughs> i did not notice that and its tail was like in a particular kind of like shape where i was like that just looks like a stuffed squirrel that they've put Weird. onto this plane. It probably was. Um, but And there was also a good moment where... So f- first, uh, Frank is able to rescue Lucy Bell. So he puts Lucy Bell next to Jake. And there was a, a shot where like it was two taxidermied cats next to each other. <laughs> and I was like, this is the most hilarious thing I have ever seen. Um Needless to say, after a really long, like, quite a few minutes of, like, Sandy Duncan and Ken Berry being on, like, a blowy soundstage pretending to fall from a helicopter, um, they managed to be saved. 
uh, Liz, Lucy Bell, Frank, and Jake all end up back on the weird old plane and fly away. The helicopter then crashes into the ground, you know, just in time. And Mm -hmm. we have a shot of all the bad guys um, whose parachutes have gotten stuck in a big tree. And the final scene of the movie is perhaps one of the strangest things I have ever seen. Do you want to try your hand at describing it? No. No. Okay. I mean, wait, when like wait, when she's trying to get into the other helicopter and he's trying to save her. No, no, part? no! In the courtroom. Oh. oh, I forget this part. Oh God! So the final scene, which maybe is like a minute long, is that Jake, Link, Lucy Bell, Liz, and Frank are in some courthouse, and Jake is getting his American citizenship. And mm. while he's getting it, I he has to do the Pledge of Allegiance. And so while oh he's God. doing the Pledge of Allegiance, he starts making the judge float into the air, and the judge loves it. And that is the final scene of this movie. I won thousand percent forgot that (laughs) i have to say as someone who is currently an immigrant and has been an immigrant in three different countries other than the united states the ease with which this space cat was given citizenship is offensive to me like it it, it should be and like why are you giving a cat citizenship what the fuck he's cute He's a cutie. He's a cutie. I mean, of course. And I bet you because... And he made him float. If all these people who are trying to get, you know, um, citizenship status in the U.S. right now could just learn that if they could just make the judge float, their cases would be over. They'd have citizenship today. Uh, I don't know why they're not doing it, but... It's been proven, so... I mean, I think, really, rather than focusing on the floating magic, what they really got to do is Americans love their pets. So they got to just work on the magic of transfiguring themselves into cute cats and dogs. Then they can get citizenship, because this movie says that cute animals can get citizenship. And then once they do that, then they just transfigure back into people. That's the way to go, folks. Come on now. <laughs> Figure it we out. We have solved the immigration crisis in America. Congratulations yes. to us for that. Wow. Politicians are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I like watched that final scene and was like, what is this? I cannot believe this is happening. And um, I apparently erased it from my memory. So. Which is fine and fair. So, that's it. That's the movie. Yeah, um, that's the movie. Let us now turn our attention, as always, to yawns and eye rolls. And we will begin with yep. yawns. So, one yawn is, this was not boring. Period. <laughs> and ten okay. yawns is, this was way too boring. What would you okay. get? Okay. I say I would do like a two and a half. It wasn't okay. boring, but I've seen less boring. Um, and I could have gone for like a touch shorter because my 
attention is <laughs> you always could go a for problem. a touch shorter i really could i feel like every movie should only be like 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> then it's not a movie um, then it's just a clip then it's on a that youtube now, video no then it's like a clip on that now defunct quibby thing like yeah and uh, that i have the attention span for but yeah it's a touch too long for me i like write it 90 minutes this is more like um, I think this was only like 140 or something. Like, I don't I know, think it was terribly still. long. No, it wasn't. But yeah, so I would, I'm going to say two and a half. It was not boring, but I've seen less boring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I might go kind of straight down the middle with five. Um, oh. Just because, I mean, like I was engaged, but like. As I said at the beginning... But not much happened. Yeah, it's like nothing happened or everything happened, and I'm not sure <laughs> which happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's why I'm giving it a just solid five. Um, and in terms of eye rolls, which might be mm-hmm. more of the trouble, um, one eye roll is like, come on, it's a movie called The Cat from Outer Space. Uh and 10 eye rolls is like, oh boy, I didn't buy into any of this. Ooh, ooh, that's a tough scale for me because, I mean, the part of me wants to be like, yeah, it was a movie called The Cat from Outer Space. What do you expect? But the realistic side of me wants to be like a 10. <laughs> but I also did buy into a lot of it at the same time. <laughs> and I loved seeing the cat flying the plane. So I might go like... Seven. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think I agree with you on that. I'll go seven as well because there were just some parts that it was like, whoa, what? I mean, is it was happening? wild, but I still was like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that I do think, like, I don't know how to put this exactly. Like, I feel like there aren't as many movies anymore that are just like, I would actually describe them as wacky. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like the whole thing is like, what is this premise? And like, also don't think about that too much and don't worry about it. Just watch this like dog on a skateboard, you know? Like, yeah, um, I think there's like different kind of wacky now. I feel like wacky now is like wacky, but like dark a lot of the times. Yeah, maybe. It's like, I don't know what's happening, but it's, it's like a dark thing. Yeah. Um, but this is at least it's like light. So um I personally would recommend this movie, even though you didn't <laughs> ask me that question yet. Like yeah, I, go for it. I I did enjoy it. I think it's fun and I think, you know, anybody who enjoys like a you know, Disney movie from that time period, that style is very reminiscent. Anyone yeah. who likes cats, the cat thing is very cute. Um, if you don't like cats, maybe it's not your thing. I could see that. But <clears throat> if you like cats at all, <laughs> I would recommend it. That would be my one caveat. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, I definitely think people should give this a watch um, because the visuals at every turn are yeah. so something to see. Like really Agreed. and truly. Like, And it takes you back to this like time and place, you know, like, um, like, I don't, I don't know exactly. 
I don't know enough about like how movies are made or like what the technology is that goes into it. But like, um, the movies of this era are just, they look different, right? Like they are not Mm -hmm. as slick. Um, they look more real. Isn't quite the right word, but, um, yeah, it's just, I think there's a lot of like visual feast for the eyes kind of material in this uh-huh. uh, that I enjoyed, including even like, I didn't mention this before, but Sandy Duncan changes her clothes constantly in this movie. Actually, I didn't notice. I didn't remember She's, that. Like everyone else literally is in the same clothes for the whole movie. She's in four mm. different outfits and in That's funny. a time period of 36 hours. Um, oh man. So I did not even notice that. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, so yeah, there was stuff like that that I just thought was really like fun to see again. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, it goes down super easy. Like this movie is very like, Oh, and now it's over. Like very chill. Um, so certainly give it a watch. I would say as well, if you are someone with young kids and you're like, I'm sick of seeing, like frozen for the 13th time try cat <laughs> from outer space yeah uh, it's definitely kid friendly and fun there's like nothing scary there's no bad language there's like truly nothing um so yeah i guess this is a good yeah. f- solid four thumbs up from us here yeah at see you next week in space so as always it's been a pleasure amy i am sarah and we will see you next week in space thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of see you next week in space this is a production by amy and sarah walsh with artwork provided by riley brown if you'd like to learn more about our show please check us out at see you next nextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at see you next week in space until the next one